Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. It's Thursday, January 18th. I'm Stephen Overley. Last week, I heard from my Politico colleague in Europe, Clotilde Gujar, who said she was going to interview Europe's most powerful privacy regulator. And did I want her to record it for the podcast? I obviously said yes. That powerful privacy regulator is Helen Dixon, and Clotilde told me she's become something of an institution. Helen Dixon is the head of Ireland's uh, Data Protection Commission, and she's been there for nearly a decade. That means Dixon was there before the European Union's landmark privacy law, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which was put into place in 2018. That law gave Dixon direct oversight over any company with their European headquarters in Ireland. I'm talking Google, Meta, Microsoft, Apple. And as a result, her office has been behind some of the biggest fines imposed on tech companies to date. She was the person embodying her agency. She was the one meeting with the big tech leaders. She was the one meeting with the European politicians. She was the one person at the center of all of it. But now, Dixon is leaving her role, and Clotilde told me her departure next month raises big questions about what comes next, because the Irish government has restructured its data protection agency, and it will have three commissioners, not just one. And across the EU, some want to rein in Ireland's power. What's happening in Brussels is, at the moment is that there's a big debate about what's the future of GDPR. If other regulators should have more power on big tech, or if there should be a European agency or a European board that actually pretty much comes in when there's a major case that impacts all of Europe and takes a decision instead of having just the Irish lead most of an investigation. And basically, after she leaves in February, she's going to be replaced by three commissioners. So the Irish Data Protection, instead of having one sort of captain saying, this is what we're going to do, they'll have three people. Interesting. That, that's actually fascinating. It sounds like going forward... There won't be any one person necessarily with kind of the same power and authority that Helen Dixon has had. If, you know, the Irish regulator will now have three people leading it, potentially this idea of a pan-Europe kind of regulator on privacy. You know, she is sort of the last, you know, of that breed, maybe. Yeah, that's probably really the case, because she was the person embodying her agency. She was the one person at the center of all of it. So like you say, I think we'll we'll see. It's going to be interesting going forward. So, on the show today, Clotilde's exit interview with Helen Dixon. Europe's GDPR was seen around the world as uh, the privacy law with the most impact. You've reached the end of your mandate. How do you see the GDPR five years after it came into force? I think it's delivered a lot in its first five years of application, maybe starting with enforcement, because it's often the thing that gives rise to the most interest. We've had a significant volume of enforcement at this stage. The DPC alone has imposed almost three billion in fines on foot of several very large-scale investigations and opposed a whole range of orders that have required, in particular, internet platforms to bring processing operations into compliance. 
So that's a lot to achieve in five years, particularly if you compare it to other regulatory regimes, even the competition regime in the EU when it started back in the 1960s, it would have had a much slower ramp up uh, to the level of enforcement that we're now seeing with the GDPR. One of the big changes from my point of view that the GDPR brought in was that it explicitly provided us with the opportunity to provide input on legislation proposed by government that would have implications for data protection rights. So now on a mandatory basis, when any government legislation is being proposed, we are consulted in relation to that legislation and we can provide observations and we've been able to have a visible and significant impact in relation to that. Some of the challenges of the first five years of the GDPR are, of course, that Smaller organizations, micro entities, SMEs have said the burden on us is disproportionate. It's on the one hand a very principles-based law that leaves a lot of what they see as guesswork. I don't think it is actually guesswork to them to do. But on the other hand, it's also quite technical and prescriptive in some ways. And they have considered that the burden has been excessive. And so I think there is still a lot of work to be done so that we can provide ways to support all kinds of organizations in implementing and coming to grips with their obligations under the GDPR. And also the first five years of the GDPR have given rise now to a lot of litigation in relation to the first enforcement cases. So there are some big ticket items to be teased out procedural issues as well as substantive data protection issues and the courts will have a big role I think over the next couple of years in helping us understand how it should work in practice in the scenarios that they look at. A lot of the fines you issued uh, were targeted at Meta, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp. Do you have a feeling like you tamed the company? I think Meta, like every other organization implementing the GDPR, has attempted to be in compliance when the GDPR came into application in May 2018, but has nonetheless been on a journey of learning and iterative change and course correction as judgments, as directions from, from regulators have come down. Meta is a very, very vast platform with a huge amount of services now sitting under it. And it's evolving and it's evolving in ways that other platforms are as well in terms of virtual reality, AI and, and moving into new spaces. So the idea that I, I would be arrogant enough to claim the DPC has tamed I don't think there is any reality to, to making any such assertion. But what I can say is Meta has complied with the investigations the DPC has subjected it to. It has, of course, fought tooth and nail and will continue to do so through the courts in terms of aspects of our approach, our decision making, that it continues, that it considers it should contest. But it has nonetheless engaged with the GDPR and it is engaged with the DPC. And that's probably as much as I can say. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. 
Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Another case that's on your desk at the moment is this case of Meta and its uh, subscription, its new subscription model. What do you think about it? Does it respect the GDPR? Well, what I think about it is that it is the job of the DPC as the lead supervisory authority to analyse it and to establish whether it is compliant with the GDPR and to do that in consultation and in cooperation with our other EU data protection authorities. And that's the process we're engaged in. We'd already concluded last August that legitimate interests were not going to meet compliance with GDPR as implemented by Meta at the time. And so, of course, as you're aware, Meta then announced that they were going to switch to consent as legal basis and subsequently to offering a consent and a subscription version. So we've been engaged over the last couple of months in detailed work in looking at that model and how it's been presented to users. So there's a whole range of issues involved, of course, in this um, the issue of consent and a subscription version without uh, tracking and processing is not new in EU terms and not new under the GDPR. There have been several cases already of what some people are referring to as a pay-or-okay model. There are several publishers. In fact, there are publishers in every EU member state are implementing it already. There has been case law. There have been decisions of DPAs on this issue already. There are also a number of platforms already implementing this model. Spotify, Netflix in certain countries has a hybrid model, YouTube premium. So it isn't new at a principled level. But of course, what we have to try and do now are distill out the factors that need to be assessed by a data protection authority in terms of concluding whether it's compliant. And, and there is a big debate between us as data protection authorities as to what role a DPA has in intervening on the fee or the price that is set by a platform. Clearly, in, in the case of some of these other platforms that may or may not be relevant comparators with Meta, there has been no intervention by DPAs on price. And on what basis might there be an intervention if DPAs were to decide it was their role? So, so there's a lot of issues in the mix here. And imminently, we will conclude our final position on that. During my time at the DPC, it's in Intended. Okay, as in, so in the next three weeks? Yeah, that, that's our intention as I sit here today. More broadly speaking then, for the advertising industry online, do you think this is the end of sort of the free internet as we had all experienced it for several years if platforms growingly sort of propose these subscription models? It could be. And of course, that there's a growing concern around that issue as well. There's at least one other platform has said it also intends to pilot a free or subscription version. To some extent, I think the courts are going to end up being instrumental in deciding that question. Most people would be of the view that an internet platform cannot be made to provide its service free of charge. And if it cannot monetize Uh, personal data in order to offer the service for free, then uh, it, it is going to have to uh, charge a subscription or find some other way 
to generate revenue. So I suppose we're at a crunch point on that question now in terms of what is the deal consumers want what are they willing to accept as a choice? So it, it does come down to consumers and, and what they're willing to accept as a choice on one hand, and then it also does come down to what is compliant with the GDPR, mm-hmm. notwithstanding what a consumer view on it might be. To what extent are we also going towards sort of a separation in that, let's say, Americans that don't have GDPR will have this free but data-hungry Uh, use of internet, whereas Europeans will have a choice, but a choice that means paying more money if they want to keep using some websites. Well, hard to say at this point, but in our experience of internet platforms, they like to offer as globally consistent a service as they can. So you often see things that start in one jurisdiction, other jurisdictions end up then uh, having the same service features. The GDPR, of course, there is no equivalent in terms of federal law in the US, but if you talk to any of the prominent legal practitioners in data protection in the US, they will give you chapter and verse on how the proliferation of state laws in the US actually is giving rise to what many of them are calling a GDPR plus environment in the US, where actually the laws in some of the states are digging even deeper on issues to do with special category data and in terms of processing. So I'm not sure we will end up with anything vastly different between the jurisdictions of the US and the EU currently. But Clearly, there's a divergence for the moment, partly because of the pace at which this has started to happen in Europe. Is it the end of tracking then? Again, there's no point in me making a glib response to that because... But more broadly speaking, between all of these different cases... But no, it the clearly isn't. Of, no, it no? clearly isn't. If, if, if we're at a point now where users purport to be offered a real choice of say yes and you will be tracked or pay money, clearly we're not as of today at the end of tracking. So no, there's no there's no end of the road at this point. Let's talk in a year or two's time, but, but not as of today, it clearly isn't at the end. You've been looking into whether TikTok might be illegally sending Europeans' data to China under the GDPR. Can you tell us when you will be able to to decide on this investigation? It should be relatively soon because we've gone through all the stages and steps of the investigation process and we've had iterative detailed submissions in from TikTok. So we are in the final stages of analysis on it. It's a very complex case in many ways and very different to EU to US transfers because We're not dealing with a democratic state that we're familiar with when we're dealing with China. TikTok is also a very new social media company. So we're dealing with a platform that we're less familiar with and with a very rapidly evolving corporate structure and different interlocutors that are changing also on a constant basis. We have a whole history of evidence and expert evidence and analysis attaching to EU to US transfers dating back to the EU Commission's analysis that underpinned the Safe Harbour Agreement back in 2000 
and then ever since. So we've a, a very high level of knowledge and detailed knowledge of the US regime. And we've all sorts of contacts in the Department of Justice and the Department of Commerce and PCLOB in the US. China is, as I said, very different. So it's, it's, it's been a different investigation in many ways and has challenged us in different ways. But simple answer to your question is very imminently in the next quarter, if it's not before I go, we will have transmitted a decision to Article 60. Mm. So before you go, that would be in the next next weeks, basically, yeah. that there could be... Yeah, sorry, maybe I shouldn't be setting an expectation that it will be in the next three weeks. Ideally, it should have been, but I guess as I sit here now, it's probably not likely, given the other things that are on my desk as well. The European Union is finalizing its new um, legislation on artificial intelligence, but this will take a few years before it comes into force. Do you think in the meantime, data protection authorities are equipped enough to regulate AI innovation, including generative AI? Well, I think we can regulate the aspects that relate to personal data and the GDPR, but there's a lot more, as we know from the AI Act, to issues arising with AI than simply data protection issues. And we see the, the litigation in the US now with the New York Times uh, against open AI around copyright. So there are product safety type issues, there are copyright issues, Um, and, and a whole range of issues that simply don't come within the ambit of, of the GDPR and data protection authorities. But as far as the GDPR goes, there are already good tools there for us in respect of generative AI and consumers in terms of making sure that privacy policies are clear, that they're clear to users in terms of what happens, their query data, Is it permanently retained? Is it linked to the account of the person? How can you delete an account? What level of attribution to your account uh, is retained? Uh, and so on. And then in terms of sources of data that train AI models, the GDPR gives us some tools to look at where data is sourced and what transparency is given to users and so on. And the issues around children... Again, verifying the age of, of users, using risk-based approaches to do that, that, that's all possible under the GDPR. Mm. Last year, the Italian uh, privacy watchdog temporarily banned uh, ChatGPT from operating in, in Italy. And, and some people uh, wondered if the GDPR could be hindering AI innovation. And more broadly speaking, in Brussels, there are some discussions around how Europe, the EU, can uh, develop its own AI companies to compete in a global tech race with the US and, and China. Do you think the GDPR uh, can hinder, can limit such innovation for AI? No, I don't. And the evidence is that it isn't. The Italians may have temporarily imposed a ban on data processing, but they also lifted the ban. So... No, I don't think it poses any limitations on innovation in this area. If anything, what it has done, and it's a positive thing, is it has put up a little bit of friction to the almost explosive rollout that happened. And, and it has given us all pause and an opportunity to look at how rights are protected in, in, a, in a broader sense, with in particular generative AI, but not at all. No, it's not going to be an inhibitor of innovation. There may be a different question about the AI Act itself, but that's not for me to answer. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, Clotilde. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overley. I'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you.